This week's episode, we're going to introduce you to a four-time cancer survivor. Her name is Liz Bendit. And in honor of October being Breast Cancer Awareness Month, we thought this was a really important topic to bring on. And Christy, wasn't she just, she was fascinating. Well, I was really impressed because I didn't know what to expect, quite honestly. Um, I personally don't have a lot of people in my circle that I have experienced them going through cancer. And so listening to her story and how many times she has been down this path and learning what her mindset was throughout it, as well as listening to her share where she probably should have maybe had a little more grace for herself during the process was powerful for me, just um, because when you hear that someone has had cancer, you know that mentally it has probably taken them down as well as physically. So yeah. Her story is one that um, we know everyone's going to remember. For sure. And I think my takeaway out of this, and I hope our listeners take away is one, be vigilant at, it doesn't matter your age, uh, you're going to hear in Liz's story, it's four different types of cancer. So it's not all, it's not one and the same, but being vigilant about getting your checkups, go get your mammograms, check your skin. That is a big takeaway of we kind of have a tendency to just don't think about it, don't take care of ourselves, And then all of a sudden, you just never know. And also, you know, she talks about being her own personal advocate. Yeah. And so I think, you know, there's a few messages in here that are super important. We hope that you enjoy it. We are excited for you to also experience what Liz has done through all of this and where she has found purpose. And so when we talk about living with tragedy and how we turn that into healing and hope, and she is the epitome of that. Absolutely. When we talk about, I know a lot of women have dealt with the ugly C word. And when you were just saying that, Christy, cancer being one of the pieces many women have to deal with. And uh, her, her story is very inspiring. And what she has done since surviving four different types of cancer um, and what she's gone on to create to support other patients going forward. It's pretty incredible. She's a great lady. So enjoy this episode. Hi, I'm Deanna Robbins. And I'm Christy North. Welcome to Pieces of a Woman podcast, where we explore all the pieces that make up a woman, mind, body, and soul. We are two everyday women who have survived, thrived, been defeated, humbled, and spent our lives committed to embracing all complexities of being a woman. This podcast is dedicated to all women, all women searching for real conversations. We are going to be exploring everything from sexuality, aging, menopause, physical and mental health, spirituality, marriage, divorce, and blended families. Everything is on the table, except politics. Every episode will be committed to engaging conversations that will include interviews with influential women, leaders, healers, authors, and good friends. Thank you for taking this journey with us. Well, today we're super excited because um, I have briefly met Liz, our guest today, who is a four-time cancer survivor, which is amazing in and of itself. But you have quite the quite the story. 
um, not just surviving cancer, but we talked a little bit more, which we can get into. Um, but I'm super excited to meet with you. Christy and I have um, talked a lot about all the pieces that make up the women that we are and surviving cancer is a big piece. And I'm sure you have a lot to, to talk about, but first Liz, I just want to introduce you, Liz Bendit. She is the CEO and president of the Balm Box, um, but you've actually been a senior in marketing for a little over 25 years. Is that correct? Yes. Yes. I started when I was 12, obviously. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> well, Liz, tell us a little bit about where you started, where, you know, tell us about your family and, and what you do. Sure. Like, I don't know how far to go back. Let's see. I was born in Southern California and for a few, you know, I'm going to totally date myself, but I'm a Valley girl, like gag me with a spoon. If anyone gets <laughs> that reference, like I love it. You're simpatico. <laughs> um, so grew up in Southern California. My parents moved around a lot, ended up going to undergrad um, in Boston and graduate school in California. So like I have just zip zapped all over the country. Um, my first job out of undergrad was working for Disney in Orlando, Florida. So I have the whole mouse ears experience, which um, I wouldn't trade for a million years, but I also wouldn't live in Orlando again for a million years. So, you know. <laughs> Oh, good. Still have friends there. Hi, Carrie. Um, let's see. And then uh, when I graduated from graduate school, my mom had actually just been diagnosed with breast cancer and I wanted to be closer to her. And at that point, my parents had relocated to Kansas City. And so I took a job at Hallmark wanting to be closer to my parents. And um, I never thought I would stay. <laughs> that was never the plan. Um, and then what, you know, all great plans, right? So then I got here. My mom did was doing great. She's still knock on wood, cancer free. Um, and I met my husband and we started dating and then we got engaged and then we bought a house and then we started having kids. And I don't know, like Kansas City stuck. I never a hundred and a hundred years would have thought that this is where I would, you know, plant roots. But I do love this community. I love the Midwest. Um, I think that it actually is a is a really nice fit. Um, so sometimes the moons align, you know, in in an odd sort of way. Um, so that's how I ended up in Kansas City. Um, let's see. I worked in a number of different businesses and brands, um, mostly consumer marketing, some business to business. So I had a really kind of rich and diverse background. Um, the first time I had cancer was um, when my I'm trying to, I date everything by my kids, right? That's like as moms, we do that, right? So my my daughter was two and or three, and my son was just was a baby. And um, I was at the pool with my parents. And um, and I say that I was at the pool, my and my son was, you know, how the babies like will just kind of like nap anywhere. And so my son had fallen asleep on my body. And so I noticed in this kind of like weird contorted shape, but you know, like he's sleeping on you and it's your second and and I don't know, it's like he was all hot and sweaty, but I was enjoying this. And and I only say this because it was so specific because my mom was sitting there looking at my upper thigh. And I don't know that she necessarily would have like spent a lot of time looking at my upper thigh in any other circumstance, <laughs> but she kept seeing this mole and it was bothering her. And she said, you know, you really need to go get this mole checked out. And I blew her off because, you know, who has time for this, right? And she was like, no, 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 you really need to go. And she had texted me and called me and emailed me multiple times, like over the course of maybe a week or two since that pool visit. And I finally, just to get her off my back, I called the dermatologist to go get this stupid mole checked out. And the mole turned out to be melanoma. And it was one of these crazy things where like they did the biopsy 
And then I think it was like a holiday weekend, like maybe 4th of July or something. And then like that, the day after that holiday weekend, she called, she's like, the doctor was like, look, this is melanoma. We don't mess around. It's super fast moving cancer. So I need you to cancel whatever's on your calendar. And I'm going to make appointments for you at a surgeon's office and you need to go. And it was just so jarring. And so like between Tuesday being told I had melanoma, I had my surgery Friday. Like, oh, wow. and it was bananas. It was so fast. And then in that time they said, well, if it's spread, you have maybe a year to live. And if it hasn't, no biggie, wear more sunscreen. Like it's such a crazy thing. Like, you know, either it's just a shitty sunburn or you're going to die. Like <laughs> one extreme to the, the other. Options. Pardon me? One extreme to the other. Totally. It was, a, it was nuts. So, um, did the surgery. I mean, the, and this whole thing, like there's all these like storylines along with this one. My mom, at the time my dad had been, um, working in China. Um, and so, um, my mom was on, was on her way to China to spend two weeks with my dad because, you know, it was too far for him to come home very often. And, um, she was getting on the plane and I called to say, you're not going to believe this, that it's melanoma. I have to have surgery on Friday. And my mom like made them stop the plane and she had to get off. And it was the whole thing to get her luggage off and everything. Like, yeah, she just walked off a plane. She's like, no, I'm not going to China while you're having surgery. That's not a thing. Um, so my mom's amazing that way. Right. Um, oh my gosh. That's wonderful. And Liz, I just yeah. want to say like, if you take and just stop for a minute, when you have two young children and you're getting told if it's bad, you may have a year. Like I can only imagine everything you emotionally were going through during that time. It was, you know, I think that the blessing of having three and a half days to plan is that the tactical requirements of getting childcare and every, you know, again, my mom was going to be out of the country, right? So like I, I, to make sure that everyone was covered that, I mean, I was an exact, I was BP marketing at a commercial finance company at that time. Like I had to get my staff in order. I had to get, like, I had shit to do because then I was going to be out for who knows how long. And I didn't have that much time. Not to mention, of course, I had to spend hours, you know, reading up on WebMD, yeah. <laughs> all the things that we do. <laughs> to, diagnose you know, yourself. We diagnoses. So yeah, it was just a very intense, crazy time. And, and I do think the beauty of also having babies at home is that they don't know any better. Like they, you know, they still need their dinner and they won't eat their broccoli and they want their bedtime story. And I think that that normalcy was actually great, right? Like it kind of kept me sane, perhaps. Yeah. Um, so do the surgery. You have to wait a couple of days for that um, culture to come back. Got it. I was fine. And so then I became crazy obsessed with sunscreen and you know, SPF, those shirts that are like SPF hundred and like big hats and, um, you know, and yeah. kind of life kind of went back to normal. And then 11 months later, um, it, it was another bananas thing, you know, because my mom had had breast cancer. I was supposed to start doing my, it was, I was under 35, um, start doing my mammograms earlier. And so I did a mammogram and it came back weird or atypical, and what's funny is so I had to go do a breast biopsy and the breast surgeon at the time started and none of us done this knows, you know, you get your feel. Yeah. Lots of people have their hands on your boobies. Like that's just kind yeah. of part of the process. And so she's feeling me up and then her arms start tra traveling up to my neck. She's like, I just don't like this. I think I need to get a biopsy of your, of your thyroid as well. And so it was like a twofer. So I ended up with the breast biopsy at that time and it came back benign, but it turns out I had thyroid cancer and it was 11 months from my melanoma 
experience. So that was bananas. And then what was funny about that whole experience was here, I hear you have cancer. And so I thought, okay, so is my surgery like in the next six days? And they're like, well, you need to go meet with an endocrinologist first. And you need to have these labs done. Da, da, da. So we think, well, you know, roughly that usually takes people six to eight weeks. So, you know, we'll schedule you a surgery for like two months from now. And I was thinking to myself, like, where's the urgency, right? Like, where's all the crazy sense of like, it happen you know, now? yeah, yeah. I just didn't understand the weight, like the idea that I had cancer and that there was no big rush to get it out was such an anathema, right? After that whole melanoma experience, but I knocked it all out. And then in some ways, again, it's kind of a beautiful thing. Like I had time to plan and people had organized a meal train and my kids were taken care of and my mom was in town and, you know, all that stuff was fine. And, um, and like everything best laid plans. And so I ended up, um, in a very, 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 very small, um, uh, group of people that ended up with this very rare side effect from the surgery called hypoparathyroid. Um, and we found out, so that means, so when you get your thyroid removed, um, the glands next to your thyroid are called the parathyroid glands. I think that means like next to, and they regulate calcium in the bloodstream. And I guess as a result of my thyroidectomy, those um, glands just never recovered. And it happens to 2% of patients. So it's super rare. And so what happens is um, my body wasn't, or still isn't able to process calcium normally. And so you need calcium for muscle function. This is why all those weightlifters like do a lot of like eggs and dairy and stuff. Cause they're trying to like increase muscle function. Um, and so I, my lips were really numb and my fingertips were numb. And then all of a sudden it started traveling up my arms and my whole face froze and so they're rushing me back to the ER and they're giving me IV calcium. Um, and I was in the hospital for about two weeks while they kind of figured out how to regulate my calcium um, with a drug co concoction that would actually work. Um, and that, that sucked. <laughs> that was not fun. And that was not expected. Um, and Liz, can I ask you a question? Yeah. Yeah. You know, taking you back to all of that. So now you're in the hospital. They're trying to figure out what's going on. You've had two different types of cancer at this point. Yeah. What is your mindset? Like, how are you? Are you able to stay positive and focused or were you scared to death? Like, what was your mindset or just we got to figure this out and get it fixed? I, I don't know that I ever thought and that mo because everyone had out, you know, again, I'm a web MD right? Like it's terrible. Um, and thyroid cancer is very treatable. So no one, and, and again, the, the lack of urgency in terms of getting it out never really terrified me. It was really more of this nuisance. So I was more anxious to get out of the hospital and get on with it. Like I was frustrated that no one could figure it out and that there was just a fair amount of trial and error. And so I also think I, I was absorbing a lot of information and processing it, if that makes sense. And yeah. what I was learning in that moment that I think has for sure affected my approach in future cancers is these doctors are all brilliant and wonderful, but they don't know, right? There, there's nothing that's a certainty. There's as much art as there is science to medical treatments. And I think that that was my big takeaway. That was my big process. Like, oh, I need to be an active participant in this process, not just a passive patient. And I think that that's what I took from that process. So I don't know how to say what my mind, my mindset was. 
I was listening and learning and processing, if that makes sense. Now that's, that's powerful. What you just said is you have to be an active participant. Oh my gosh. And I, I can't even, because I think that the, the back-to-back nature, right. Of having those two different cancers and then having this crazy side effect that no one prepares you for, because it is really rare. And then having to deal with it, which is because it's so rare, it's not like there's like a standard treatment, you know, it's really, really common. Thyroid cancer is super common. I want to say it happens to like 20% of women between, don't give me, you're going to put me, like 25 <laughs> and 40, like whatever it is, it's like kind of your premenopausal years. So it's super, super common. And so as a result, the synthetic thyroid hormone called Synthroid, it's like they've perfected it. In fact, I think there's some lab tests where like they can't even tell the difference between thyroid and actual thyroid oh. hormone and synthroid is so good. Wow. But when you have something called this hypoparathyroid problem, it's so rare. There's not a lot of money in it, right? As a, as a pharmaceutical company to treat it. So as a result, you know, doctors have to just get really creative and trying to come up with other kinds of ways to stimulate calcium production in your body. So do you, do you feel like, um, through that process, you talked about being an active, um, playing an active role in your, in your surgery, your healing, and just understanding all of that process. Did you feel like you had um, also compassion or at least understanding with your doctors? Because when I look, when I think about doctors and the diagnosing piece, there's such a big responsibility and they're people like us figuring out um, what is going on with someone else's body. And there's such, you know, like you said, it's an art and a science. Um, And at the same time, they're going to make mistakes as we all do with our careers. Totally. A hundred percent. And I think that was this whole process with thyroid cancer. I think if you go back to pieces of a wound, right. And what shapes us, this was so fundamental to me because it wasn't life-threatening. I never really thought I was going to die. I was aggravated that I wasn't well. Does that, if that makes any yes. sense. Yeah. And that, and then of course, you know, with both of my, those cancers, in fact, all of my cancers, I never felt sick what made me sick was the treatment. (laughs) Like all, I never came in with some kind of pain that turned out to be a tumor. It was always found accidentally really. And so that also I think has been frustrating, right? Because you know that the treatment's not going to be pleasant and I'm not suggesting that it's not important. I mean, I am a hundred percent all for standard medical treatment. I don't think that we should be giving ourselves coffee enemas and calling it a day. Like there's definitely some crazies on YouTube that say things like that. And I do not endorse them. (laughs) But at the same time, I agree with you, Christy, like there's, I, I have learned through this process to work with medical professionals that will work with me, not for me, if that makes sense. I want this to be an iterative process, right? And I am not willing to submit myself to a medical overlord, right? Like that's not, that doesn't work for me. Now it's so subjective. I think there are some women and my sense, and by no means is this statistical, is that it's older women actually really like that. They want someone to tell them what to do and it's going to be okay. And if you follow this particular regimen, you're, everything is going to be fine. And I guess my early experience with cancer was, okay, I have some bizarre side effects. I keep falling into these margins. I need to take some control out of my situation now. And on top of that, when I own that situation, and even if the treatment is unpleasant, 
I feel like, well, I chose it. So therefore it's much easier to muscle through because I was the active participant in making that choice. If that makes yeah. sense, as opposed to just, you know, submitting myself to the will of the, the MD, you know, the great overlord MD. And so in fact, and what happened as a result, so my, the first goal, of course, after I had all these crazy problems with hyperparathyroidism was to just get me out of the hospital, right? Like get me to the point where I didn't need an IV of calcium and that I had, they'd come up with some kind of drug concoction that would work. And then for a year, for a year after that, I just never felt well. I was exhausted. I, I had clinical fatigue and I was working with um, an endocrinologist at the time who just would not hear me. And he kept saying, and I kept saying, I'm so tired. I've never been this tired. I'm not, something is wrong. And he's like, you're a working mom. All working moms are tired. And I just was like, and this is my last appointment. <laughs> like, I'm done. And I, and I found an endocrinologist that um, was much more um, open and he still is my current endocrinologist. So I do think it's so important to work right. Like to have a medical team around you that is um, consistent with how you want to be treated as a patient. And for me, I need to be an active participant. Like that's who I am. I can't certainly project and say all patients prefer that, but for me, that was important. Well, and I think it's such an important message because, you know, we know our body, we know what feels totally. normal. We know when something's off. And if we have that unfortunate situation where a medical professional is not hearing us, I think what you did is powerful. You said, this is not working for me. I need to go get another opinion and find someone that's going to work with me. Um, because that I think is pretty common. Well, you're giving me a lot of more credit than maybe I deserve. I said that in my head, I just <laughs> nodded and left and then didn't make a follow-up appointment. So I was a okay. little more passive aggressive about it. <laughs> that's okay. That's okay. You, you st the action was what was powerful and important. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> For sure. Well, so then Liz, take us down. So I think it's what, about five years later. Yeah. So I thought I was done. Right. So that, um, and then in 2015, I had just this little like nugget on my nose that was just a little off. And I went to the um, dermatologist and it turns out it was basal cell carcinoma. And again, not, you know, this isn't life-threatening, but what stunk is that um, it was just big enough that they couldn't just remove it and put in a stitch. Like I, they had, there was a complex plastic surgery that was required to actually cover back up my nose with skin. Oh, and wow. yeah. And you can't totally tell it because, you know, I don't have the best lighting, but um, I'm very fair skinned and I have a lot of freckles. And so a lot of times, like if you have like a really consistent skin tone, what the plastic surgeons will do is they'll take a little chunk of skin from your neck and then plop it onto your nose. But because of my freckle pattern that I would look like Rudolph or like, it would just look really uh -huh. weird. Um, and so that wasn't an option for me. And so um, this is where going back to that whole experience before with um, learning to kind of be my own advocate and to listen to my own body, like you're saying, Christy, um, I went and interviewed um, plastic surgeons and the first one said, well, we're going to take, we're going to take a slice from the top of your cheekbone and we're going to cover and we're going to um, all the way down to the bottom of your jawline. And then we'll use that skin and, and, and pull it over your nose. And that's how we'll get the skin to, to cover up. And I'm like, so I'll have a scar that will start from my cheek all the way down to my jawline. Like I'm going to look like Scarface like that. That's, that's a bummer. Like, I didn't want that. And, and he, and he's like, well, yeah, that's the only option. And so I, oh, wow. 
um thought oh, gosh that's that maybe i'll just start to lose a couple more people and make sure like get a couple other folks to tell me that and then that turns out that's not true and there were other options and so i went through this other procedure and it was super unpleasant let me just tell you but it was one where they like this is going to be like heebie jeebs but basically he created he he used the the shadow end of my nose and then stretched out the, so i was awake for this which i don't oh. recommend um and he's like you know how when you you're stuffing herbs in a chicken like yes that like that's what he was doing he's loosening up the skin between my face and then put a live bandage on it and so i had this giant bandage on my nose and i was walking around like that for about a week and then i came back and at that point the skin was loose enough that he could just stretch it enough to cover up my nose and then and then the the scar you can't see it like it, for about a year you could see it but like over time it really did fade and especially with low makeup and stuff you know you really can't see it um and it was totally worth it but again if i had not maybe there's again there's this whole part of advocating right so you learn to advocate for yourself and you think well like, gosh i really don't want this scar so i'll live through 10 days of this horrible bandage situation so that you know yeah so i can kind of maintain my own face i can look like myself and that um and it worked really really well and again so again learning 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 right you learn to to ask questions be your own advocate if something sounds really crappy explore right see what oh. is, is there another choice yeah, well, and I'm listening to you and we have not even touched on, we have more, but I'm listening yeah. to you talk about now three. And, you know, you've had complicated, the first one was, you know, maybe not as traumatic, but your second one's pretty traumatic. Your now third one is pretty traumatic, that yeah. surgery that you just went through. Yeah. And, you know, Deanna asked you about your mindset and I'm thinking at some point between these three, I'm like, what is going on? what yeah. is happening to me and why am i now on three times and i'm also thinking mom has had breast cancer is this you know is this something that's coming because now i've had these three you know how is how are you maintaining this i went to a geneticist and i had did the blood panel and they looked at 45 different markers in my genes to see if I was the carrier for 45 different known kind of cancer types. And I was negative on all of them. So that wasn't a thought. You oh, it was totally a thought, 100%. Like, what is going on? Was I, did yes. I live under like a clock tower? Or like, what did I get? And how come I, you know, I lived in a family of four. My parents are still married. I have a, a younger brother and I'm the only one with all these cancers. What the heck, right? Like, it's just. And what are you Bad doing luck. to maintain your ability so to have a positive I, attitude? I became, I mean, certainly after, so I mean, after the melanoma, I became and still am pretty hardcore about sun protection. Um, my, my kids were wearing, you know, long sleeve swim shirts before they were de rigueur. Like I see these little kids in these long sleeve swim outfits and I'm like, where were those when my kids were babies? Um, and now my daughter's almost 16 and, and she will not wear a swim shirt, but she's got a one strike and you're out policy. One sunburn, she wears it, that's it. She doesn't get to wear her, like a bikini gets taken away and she is really good about sunscreen because she does not want to wear that swim shirt. <laughs> so, I mean, and they get it. And I, and I, so I think there's that. Um, and then certainly after the second cancer, I became um, a little bit freakish about 
Um, what are we ingesting? Like, you know, reading all the anti-cancer books and, and all the different ways in which our environment could potentially contribute to cancer. So everything from, you know, um, not variations in non-organic meats and vegetables and um, stressors and I mean, all these other things. And so I definitely have become a lot more conscientious of making sure that we, like my, my husband jokes about like our grocery bills increased about sixfold. And I mean, and we're incredibly lucky that we're in a socioeconomic status that it's not, that it's doable, right? I can buy chicken that's $9 a pound, but many families don't have that choice. Um, and, and I'm very, very careful. You know, there are definitely a lot of fruits and vegetables that I absolutely will not buy or eat if they're not organic or if I'm not sure they're not organic. I, I mean, I try to subscribe to the 80-20 rule, like let 20% go by because otherwise you make yourself crazy, yeah. um, but really focus on the 80% that if it, we can get the majority of what we ingest yes. um, as helpful. I mean, I drink, when I was growing up in the 80s, I ate snack wells, drank tab. My mom um, cooked all of our, almost all of our meals in the microwave. Like we were, in, and we thought that was healthy, right? Like yeah. everything that was fat-free. So I do think, you know, I ate tons of chemicals and stuff growing up and it's just kind of to sort of some bad luck that I'm the one that ended up with all the cancer. I mean, certainly, I, trust me, my poor mother feels guilty and it's not her fault. We didn't know any better. Right, um, right. And in fact, when I was in, um, high school and college, I, over the summers, I worked as a camp counselor at an area called Catalina Island Marine Institute in Catalina Island off the coast of California. And I was always getting very sunburned. And so at the time, the pediatrician said, well, you know what, go to a tanning bed for a couple of weeks beforehand so that you can get a base layer so you won't get sunburned. So I used tanning beds on the advice of my pediatrician. Wow. Like, and we've all done it. I mean, we, we are the, I mean, our generation is the um, poster children for, you know, baby oil yeah. sitting on the rooftop. Um, with, the, with that little, that, right. that, that reflective thing that we yeah. put, you know, yes. I mean, yeah. we were, we were, that's what we were doing and we're seeing, you know, obviously the, what that looks like today. Yeah. Um, so I, I mean, my, and my kids feel like at this point, like when we go to restaurants, they get Diet Cokes and they feel like they're like getting something great because I don't buy it for the house. So, I mean, that's what I'm saying about 80, 20, like I'm not going to become like a crazy food Nazi, but at the same time, I do think that, um, I have ingrained in them the importance of whole foods and, you know, and kind of being really thoughtful about what you put in your body and they see what I've been through. So they're, they're very conscientious of it, I think, yeah. which is, I think all you can hope for. Yeah. And Liz, to your point, I mean, it's affected so many different, not just cancer. I mean, food has been a, a subject of conversation for a long time, but also really? um, autism and there's so many uh, celiac and there's so many things that is in our it's food. True. Yeah. So, it's true. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's, I don't want to get into the whole dark <laughs> side of our food supply, but I just think that, again, I think that there's an element of balance that I, like we all try to hit and we all have to make some accommodations. Otherwise, man, life is just too tiring. Right. So For sure. I feel like I try to kind of subscribe to this 80, 20 rule, right. Where we're making 80% of the time we're making great choices so that we can be okay with the 20% of the time that we let it go. Uh, um, I think that's great. And so that, 
yeah and i think that also then you feel like you're taking some control over a situation and not just succumbing to well whatever will happen will happen i mean i, I like to feel like i have some accountability you know yeah my well then liz so three times you think three yeah, times you charm, think you're, you're done. done you have done it you don't nothing else and then what happens a couple of years later 2000 so yeah 2016 I had another weird mammogram and another biopsy but because I'd had an abnormal biopsy before I just thought I had weird boobs right like I just didn't really think much about it and it was one of those things that they followed for a couple of months and so it wasn't until 2017 that they actually were like nope sorry this really is for sure this is for real disease breast cancer and um so at that point you know the good news is I think there's so many women that they're this is going to sound so blase, whose first diagnosis is breast cancer. And it's so terrifying. But for me, it was my fourth, like, whatever, I'm not going to die. It was caught early. I'll be fine. It's just going to suck, right? Like, this is going to be stinky. And so um, it was all just a focus on, okay, well, what's the treatment plan? And I met with multiple um, like radiation oncologists and, and I picked my treatment team based on those people that were willing to talk to me. Um, and there was um, a gentleman from a very well-known cancer center in my community who was the biggest asshole I've ever met. And I refused to work with him. And it was this really big deal. It was like a friend of a friend that got me in to meet with him. And it was really not, I know there's a lot of pressure to be, you know, in his patient care. And I refused like this, I will not work with somebody that won't have a conversation with me about medical outcomes and looking at um, choices and options. And I just, I've learned my lesson, right? Like if there's anything yeah. I've learned from this whole process is that I need to work with someone that will work with me. And I, to this day have, I think just the greatest radiation oncologist in the world, St. Luke's Healthcare, Dr. Herzberg. Um, and she is lovely. She also has had breast cancer. I think that probably has made a difference, certainly. Um, and I just, um, again, advocated for myself. I decided my treatment plan. I decided on a very non-invasive plan, which my mother was not real happy about, um, because everyone, you know, there's choices. You don't have to do everything. You can choose what you're willing to put your body through and everything just comes down with a percentage of what your likelihood of recurrence is. And so I picked uh, the least most invasive process possible. And even that process was torturous and miserable. And so, especially when I was going through radiation, I kept thinking, you know, first of all, um, I was very young and it was really nice, of course, to go into all of my appointments and have everyone tell me, you're so young, you're going to sail right through this. Cause you know, I was in my early forties and all the other, you know, you see all the other women in the waiting room and they're, they're elderly, they're older, they're over 70, you know, they're, they're, and they're not well. Um, and they have clearly other health problems, either they've got walkers or they're obese or they're, you know, there's just, and they're, you know, and I was still running 20 miles a week and healthy and, um, and so this whole, you're so young, you're so healthy, you'll sail right through this. I kind of went in almost a little arrogant, like, Ugh, it's going to be no big deal. And I don't know that that was the healthiest attitude. I do think I might've, you know, I, so because when I started feeling really sick, then it was a shock, right? Like, cause everyone kept telling me it was going to be no big deal. Um, and so my skin burned so badly, they had to stop treatment for a couple of days to let it heal. Um, chunks of of my tissue fell off. 
Um, oh, it took months for it to grow back. Um, I couldn't, you know, you can't really totally fill in here, but like, I am not small chested. And so I needed something to hold the girls up. Like I couldn't just walk around in public without a bra on. And I needed something that was an alternative. I was, I was still working again. Everyone kept telling me you're going to be, it's no big deal. I was an executive at, at a manufacturing company. Like I had to, I had a staff and people that relied on me. I needed to get into the office. So I was running around with like ice packs in my shirt in the office. And, um, in fact, the, I even ran a 10 K in the middle of all that, which oh was my gosh. really stupid. <laughs> um, and so, because I kept thinking that's not a good reason to slow down. Right. And, and I, and so I don't know that I went in with the healthiest attitude. I was very arrogant about how it was going to be a no big deal. I scheduled all my appointments for 7:45 in the morning so that the only thing I wasn't doing was driving my kids to school. And that, like, that was the only change in my schedule and that was not wise. And so, yeah, like over time, I eventually started to have to work less and less. And my, I, at the time, the people I was working for were phenomenal and they were, you know, when I had to start leaving at four and then three 30 and then three, um, they're like, do what you need to do. Like they, they were great. Um, and I'm again, super lucky that I wasn't in an hourly paid position where, you know, I was losing income. I offered to go in FMLA. They said, don't worry about it. Like it, it was just, I was, I had so many things going for me. I still, you know, because my husband, I both work full time. We had a nanny who, she just wasn't, was phenomenal and, and just filled in a lot of gaps that normally we wouldn't have had her do, you know, everything from taking my daughter shoe shopping to, you know, running for groceries and like things that she, that were kind of a little outside of her standard, um, right. you know, job requirement. And so, I, I mean, I had, if you think about this, I had money, resources and, um, and help, and I was still miserable. And I can only imagine women that don't have that kind of support, how much even harder it is. Right. And so through all that whole process, you know, you need all the stuff, right? You need things like, like I needed ice packs that I could tuck into my shirt that weren't like big and square and weren't going to stick out or that weren't going to leak through. I mean, I had big old wet spots on the sides of my shirt. It was really gross. And then, um, and everything from lotions, right? You need all sorts of lotions because of the radiation. You need aluminum-free deodorant. You need, I mean, there's just all, I need an alternative to like a bra, right? Because I had to wear something. I was not going with no bra. So I just needed all these things. And here I am like Google searching, for stuff. And it's so hard to find it. Like there was no radiation stuff.com, you know, and I kept thinking there's gotta be a better way. And in the meantime, all these people, I mean, again, I don't want to complain about this because I have this phenomenal community. Like I just, the, I cannot say enough about our friends, our neighbors, our, my relatives, like everyone was so supportive and kept bringing food. And like my friend Stacy brought over jello shots. That was fun. Um, <laughs> you know, all of those things are wonderful. It's wonderful to feel supportive, but in reality, what you need is all of this like palliative tools. And instead I'm getting like baskets of cookies and lasagnas and that just wasn't. Did you have a group that maybe that you were able to reach out to pre going through the treatments where, you know, they said, okay, this is something that you should be looking at or think about, and these are the tools that you can count on while you're going through this process. Was that missing? No, you know, no, I, no one invited me to any kind of breast cancer survivor group or patient group at the time. Although I did have a nurse navigator who was wonderful for that, those kinds of questions and needs, but 
Um, I think that there is a wonderful community that I have now found on like Facebook and Instagram that is there, but I, whether it was there in 2017 or I'm only now finding it later, I'm not sure to be fair, but at the time it didn't even occur to me, right? Because in the moment, you know, I'm trying to work. I don't feel well. I just am looking for tools. Like the idea of communicating with other breast cancer patients was not appealing in the moment at that time. What I, I made my kids, I was still the leader of my daughter's Girl Scout troop. I was still planning trips to the, <laughs> for their, their sixth grade girls to go volunteer at the local pet shelter. Like I was in a whole back and forth with them this whole time. Like I still was working. I had employees that were whining about God knows what, you right. know, the, I had stuff going on. So the idea of communicating or working with other breast cancer patients in that moment was not appealing, but I think I would have benefited from it for sure. Right. Had I taken the time, I think I, it would have been very, very helpful. Well, had you found resources too? So, so I, going even occurred to me. That. I don't know that it occurred to me. Isn't yeah. That funny? Yeah. yeah. Because again, what I had seen and in my community were all the other breast cancer patients that I kept seeing in my waiting rooms and whatnot were old. They're old ladies. Yeah. So that was not, I didn't fit in with them. That, that makes sense. my tribe. Yeah. And I think coming from, you know, with someone who, like you said, it was, it was another, it was another thing, something you weren't prepared for. You got blindsided and, you know, I'm hearing from you kind of somewhat your mindset of what, of, of how you navigated not only the first three, but this, this big cancer that you just, you know, with breast cancer and yeah. you had, you know, you hear these stories where there are so many survivors that have these powerful, amazing, um, strengths that they, they came at it with. And I'm hearing from you, you know, you were determined and you were focused and you, you, you dug in, you were digging deep and yet you're also saying part of maybe that was a little bit more difficult, or maybe it made the process, um, a little more difficult. What would you say about that? Would you say, always go at it with that dig deep attitude, or do you feel like there needed to be a place for you to have some space where you could maybe not have to be so powerful through that? Yeah, I think that's such a great question. I think that there is enormous pressure, especially in breast cancer patients, and especially with all of the t-shirts that are like, breast cancer didn't kick me down, and all of this, a lot of pressure to dig through it and show that you're the better person and you're a fighter. And so on the one hand, it is productive, right? It is definitely productive to approach a cancer diagnosis with the approach of, I'm going to be fine. I will get through this. Like, I do think that's really important. And yet at the same time, self-care is hard. I think it's hard in the best of circumstances for women. And then when you're in the middle of this train wreck, right, of um, treatments and complexities and, um, and just cancer, which is, it, it mentally does, you know, it's scary. Um, the pressure to perform and to show how much stronger you are, I don't know if that's super productive. I think that in retrospect, I could have taken it down a notch and been perhaps healthier and better. Um, like that 10K was stupid, right? Like 
I wasn't feeling great. Yeah. I can't um, even imagine. <laughs> yeah. But I had, but I had signed up to do the race months in advance and I wanted to do it. And my friend, you know, and I didn't want to not do it. So my running group was all going to be there either doing the, in fact, half of them were doing the half marathon and I was already only doing the 10 K that was a no biggie. Um, <laughs> wow. Do you feel like there was a, pr- a pressure either that, that you were, you were talking about, you wish you would have, you know, looking back, you're like, oh, I should have maybe had a little bit more grace for myself or. Yes. That's a great way of putting it. I think that I should have, I think that I wish I had given myself more permission to wallow a bit. Right. And yet I'm sure I did. I mean, my daughter talks about how she remembers seeing me like lying on the couch, you know, covered in ice packs. And at that point zonked out on Vicodin because I was, I was really hurting and um, how upsetting that was to her because she's just not used to seeing mom that sluggish and slow. To be fair, I didn't know about that from her until much later. Um, But yeah, I mean, certainly there's, and especially when you, I mean, my daughter was 12, my son was 10, like they have active lives. Like I didn't want to miss their um, sports games and recitals and all that stuff. I still wanted to be in the mix. I wasn't dead. I wasn't dying. It just sucked for a minute, you know? So I, I, I think that it rubs both ways. And I don't know, I think walking that tightrope of taking care of yourself, giving yourself grace to just feel crappy and watch Netflix. And yet at the same time, power through because checking out of life, I don't think is healthy either. Right. right? But I don't know. I mean, that's a tough balancing act, right? I, I, I'm not the, the last person to say that I figured that out. I don't think I did. Um, I think I could have for sure slowed down more than I did. I for sure could have worked less. Um, yeah. Well, Liz, I think your story is going to resonate with, and I'm sure people have heard your story before, um, but all the emotions that people go through when they're battling um, cancer. And so what inspired you? I mean, you've talked a little bit, but what inspired you to take Balmbox to the next level? To actually make it, yeah. Life. So yeah, so I had you know this whole time in 2017. I kept thinking, where's the website for this stuff that I can get? Where's just like I just need the care package that has all the stuff I need instead of me, you know. And again, I'm so I don't want to downplay like so privileged that I can afford to spend twenty dollars in overnight shipping for a seven dollar bar of organic deodorant, like. Other people can't do that. Like they, they don't have that choice. And I at least did, but I spent $300 on crappy deod- organic deodorant that smelled nice and did not in fact prevent perspiration um, until I eventually found one. And so um, I kept thinking there's gosh, gotta be a better way. And, and that really in 2017, it was just in the back of my mind. And it wasn't until um, somewhere around 2019, I started toying with writing a business plan because I just really liked this idea. And at that point I had moved on. I was feeling healthy. I had, you know, I, I think it takes about a year, I think, to recover from both the physical and mental trauma of that whole experience. So somewhere around 2018, life kind of, I think, got back to normal. In 2019, I started really thinking about pen to paper and putting together that business plan and what that would look like. Um, and I was unhappy with the job I was in. And so I really, really, really wanted to, to launch Bombbox. But my husband was like, we have to plan for that. You can't just, we can't go from two full-time executive salaries to one like that. Like we have to put some thought into it. And he said, you know, let's save some money and then, and let's plan for it. 
And then um, what happened in January of 2020, um, a friend reached out to me, a, um, a professor, an, an adjunct professor at University of Kansas suddenly died um, and they needed someone to teach his classes and, um, could, and it was a particular specialty of mine in marketing and could I do it? And it was like this, like dropped in my lap, this opportunity that this part-time job that was super flexible, um, that I, I love doing the super fun, then would give me the grace and the time, right. To, to develop Bombbox. And so, um, and so I, I had went on contract with the job I was in and then kind of slowly weaned myself off of working for them. Who knew that that was also when the pandemic would hit. And, um, and so what the beautiful thing for me, the lucky element about the pandemic is that all of a sudden, all of my personal responsibilities, like everyone else's just went out the door and all of a sudden, I mean, my amount of free time just shot through the roof. So even though I was teaching and still doing some marketing consulting, I had all this, I mean, all of a sudden there were no volleyball games and there were no yeah. <laughs> piano yeah. recitals and there was nothing, you know, nothing. And so I um, had a lot more time and I, and I wrote a survey um, to try to determine, is this really a good idea? And so I, I developed this, this whole survey and it had all these threads. So like if you had cancer before, you kind of answered a certain series of questions. And if you'd never had cancer before, you got asked a series of questions about being a gift buyer. And I emailed it to everyone in my email list. <laughs> it was just whoever I had ever sent an email to before, right? Like there was no, probably a lot of like, you know, business reply emails also got this email. And, and I posted it to Facebook and LinkedIn and I asked friends to share it. And it was a, it was a Sunday in March in the middle of the pandemic and everyone's online and bored out of their schools. And they answered my survey and then they forwarded it to everyone they knew and it went viral and it collected almost 600 responses, which was amazing. And because there's no incentive, it wasn't like answer my survey and get a chance yeah. to get for it. It was just like straight up, hey, could you answer my survey? And it's really long. It took like 20 or 30 minutes. Wow. And yeah, no, it was awesome. And so I got all this great data and the, the survey validated that my experience was not unique and that um, you ask cancer patients, I had a list of like 50 items, like here are things that, you know, you potentially would buy for yourself or receive as a gift. And they started like really functional and then they went, you know, things like ice packs and lip balm and um, aluminum free deodorant, right? And then things that were purely like more in, what I would call inspirational, kicking cancer tote bags and worry stones and kicking cancer coffee mugs. And um, the absolute top rated items from prior cancer patients were all the functional items. Like, oh man, it'd be so great to get like a sweat free ice pack. And it would be so great to get like really great burn bomb. And then the absolute worst performing out of like a list of 50, like absolute nobody wants this shit is kicking cancer tote bags, kicking cancer coffee mugs. And you know, if you think about when you look for cancer gifts online, what do you see? You see a ton of the kicking cancer, just garbage. Yes. Nobody wants it. In fact, when you receive it, we're going back to that pressure. It's like that pressure to perform is like a strong hero woman. And, and it's, it's a lot of pressure. What we really want is, you know, functional tools. I mean, jello shots are great too, but <laughs> yeah, I mean, I just would have never thought of that. Um, yeah. You know, that just is such an eye opener to hear you say that. It's good right. for people to know. I think it's right. And I, and I think what's so interesting, you ask then gift buyers, where are you spending your money? What are you spending your money on? Well, the top two items are food and flowers. 
And yeah. I mean, nowhere were, were those in, in ranked items of things that people actively want. Don't get me wrong, they're appreciated. It's nice to get, but it's not. In fact, in some ways, when people are going through chemotherapy, flowers suck because smells sometimes are really hard to process. And so getting flowers, like they look nice, but sometimes if they're like those really heavily scented flowers, it's almost worse. Like it's, it's like you feel obligated to look at them at the same time you need them at least 20 feet away. So the, the survey validated everything. And then I was amazed, you know, I, I was able to actually get a little bit of funding and, um, and I let go of all the marketing consulting and only now, so now I work part-time at the University of Kansas, which is super fun and I love doing it. Um, but it has given me the grace and the time to develop the business. And um, so I launched the bombbox.com in um, October of 2020. And um, I got a, um, some immediate press in USA Today, and I was selected as um, an ambassador for the Komen Foundation and like all this great stuff that helped kind of get the business off the ground, which was amazing. And then first quarter sales were up like 15% over 2020. This past second quarter was up 40% over first quarter. Like everything is growing, which is awesome um and just we're just launched a new line of products to address um in addition to radiation and, and surgery chemotherapy like a much deeper chemotherapy line we knew that that was that was a big opportunity so it's growing you know it's growing and, and i can see that it's filling a need and i'm really really excited about it so yeah. well liz when we discovered you and i can't remember how we how we found you but <laughs> it was so exciting to go to your website and i think i told you when we in our initial interview when we ch chatted i went to your website and just seeing the gift options and to know that i have not battled breast cancer but i know many people who have and I would have loved to have known about you. Of course, it wasn't around uh, at the time. But now that I know I, in looking, so to clarify, the bomb box, it's B-A-L-M, uh, thebalmbox.com, because I tried to search you just bomb box and I couldn't find it originally. I so know. It's There's a lovely lip bomb company <laughs> called Bombbox, B-O-M-B. -B, uh -huh. And I sometimes do get their phone calls and it's, it's yeah. okay. But, but yeah, you're, no, B-A-L-M-B-O-X. Your packages are beautiful. You have a blog. Um, tell us what what is your best selling item, and why do you think it is your best selling item? Well, two best selling. They're neck and neck. So the number one and they're tied basically. Um, one is the radiation essentials box, and this box is so perfect. Like if you have, if you're really early in your radiation process or haven't started yet, it's so ideal because it's all the little things you need. So it's got that burn bomb. It's got that um, lip balm. It's got the white, the uh, sweat free ice pack. It also is this really fabulous um, seatbelt protector. So that, and one of those things, again, you don't know you need till you actually need it because when, especially it's not just breast cancer, it's really, if you're getting radiation in any part of your upper torso, that seatbelt really, if it touches or, or rubs against any part of your radiated torso, it's really painful. So this little seatbelt protector, you know, separates the seatbelt from your body. So it's all those little things that you need. It's less than a hundred dollars. It's just this really great value. So that box is right up there. And then the other bestseller is just the cancer care box. And I think that this is one that's so popular because I think what happens with a lot of um, friends and family is you don't know exactly where your friends are in their 
care path. And so the generic cancer care box, it has a little bit of everything, right? So it's got some stuff for radiation, some stuff for surgery, some stuff for chemo. So it's, you, you got a little bit of everything in there. Plus this really adorable little teapot and cookies and tea drops. So just a, a good reminder to kind of take a, take a load off and do a little self-care. So it's this, it's this beautiful, again, beautifully packaged and everything is so elegant and lovely. Um, and, and that box is really popular, I think, because it's so fitting no matter where you are in your treatment plan. Oh, that is so great. So do you deliver everywhere? Is there, tell me. U.S., just in the U.S., but not in Canada. Yes, we um, we would love to expand to Canada. We have some, we have a little more work to do on that for the moment. Not international yet. Well, you guys are doing great work. I think the website provides a lot of great resources um, we went through and your blogs, I think, are valuable for anyone who's coming in and, and wants to, you know, maybe have an understanding if they're in the beginning process um, or someone that maybe just wants to even support someone that they know. I, as Deanna mentioned, going into your website and seeing everything, I had no idea. And so I feel like I'm more prepared now if I ever have someone, you know, in my circle that I need to provide information to. So. Thank you for well, what you've put together. You. That's such a nice compliment. That's certainly the goal. So it's always super nice to hear. So thank you for saying so. Well, and you know, you've you've shared your story with us today, which we are so honored to have you, you know, share all of the pieces that have, you know, designed you into the beautiful woman that you are. And I want you to, you know, take a minute re and reflect back on all of these years, it's what to start 2000, 2009 is when you first were diagnosed. Yeah. But there's so much more um, that I'm sure you have. It, it's not just your cancer that defines who you are. There's so much to your story that make you um, the amazing, powerful woman. But I want you to think back and, you know, if you could go back and tell your 12 year old, 15 year old or 20 year old self, what would you tell her today? Ugh. Well, I would tell my 12 year old self that perm was a bad plan. That was, <laughs> that was not a good idea. Love that. Uh, we'll start I have that. one of those. I have one of those. <laughs> do we all, do we all have that perm story? Oh yes. <laughs> yes, we do. <laughs> those ringlet curls were just not a good look. Oh man, that's such a good question. I, I wish that I had spent, you know, one thing that we have not talked at all about, but certainly has been a big part of my upbringing is my grandmother and grandfather are Holocaust survivors. They met in hiding in the false roof of a barn in Poland in wow. the forties. Oh. And, um, and my grandmother was married and had a son and didn't know until the end of the war, whether or not they were, had lived or died and they had died. And I mean, their story is, one uh, with the most gruesome suffering, right, that you can imagine. And um, so that contributes certainly, I think, to a little bit of my whatever misery I'm going through, it couldn't possibly be worse than what they went through. So there's a little bit of that. But I, I also think I did spend a little bit too much time growing up being annoyed by their fetching over their stories, right? My grandmother was amazing. So my grandmother went, they went through these, um, they both came out of, you know, they, they had a miserable couple of years, right? Living, hiding in the middle of the Holocaust, losing everything. And then 
My grandmother married my grandfather. They had my, my mom was born in Poland. They immigrated to the U.S. And when my mom was about six years old, um, and my grandmother had always talked about, um, she was just this joyful person. She just I always was so grateful for her second life, she called it, and, and for us and for her family and for this opportunity to live. She relished it and she was happy. And my grandfather was really cranky. He was really upset. He felt like the world owed him something because of what he went through. And um, and I think as a result of him being a bit of a sourpuss, I didn't listen to him enough. And I wish when I was 12 and 16 and 20 that I had spent more time and been more um, patient with him and his story. Because now as an adult, I wish I knew more of the details. And I'm sure that that applies to lots of situations. I mean, what you see, I'm, I'm definitely a go-getter. I definitely, you know, I am very assertive and, and I go after things that I'm passionate about. And yet at the same time, I think if I had learned a little more patience, um, that would have served me well growing up and, and even now as an adult. How's that for an answer? I love it because I think that we we all probably, you know, in our younger years did not um, recognize the significance of our parents' stories or our grandparents' right. stories. And we couldn't, you know, maybe even be bothered with it because you know what, we knew it all. We knew it all. Right? <laughs> so yeah, I think that's a great message. Thank you for sharing that. Um, I, I want us to kind of wrap up and say one, obviously we're just so honored that you were with us today, but we want to make sure everybody can find you. So share your website um, and any other information that you think is important for our listeners to know how to get in touch with you. Oh, thank you. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's, I love the opportunity to share my story. Anything that, about my experience that can help others, I, you know, I'm honored, honestly, to be part of their cancer experience. Um, I, yeah, come visit us at www.thebombbox.com, T-H-E-B-A-L-M-B-O-X.com, and you can find all our socials on the website. Well, I just wanted to say, Liz, thank you so much for sharing your story. And I just, you are a fighter, even though, <laughs> I mean, I would say just how you just pressed forward and just said, okay, we're going to deal with it. What do we got to do? This is more annoying than anything um, is how it seems like you just like, we're going to do this. And so I just appreciate you so much for sharing your story with pieces of a woman. And thanks for being on. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm loving all this positive reinforcement. I need to come do this more often. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for having me. It's been lovely to meet you all. And thank you for letting me share. I hope that it's been, you know, I, I hope others find, find comfort in it. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you think someone could benefit, please share. If there's a conversation you think we should be having or a topic that resonated with you, please let us know. You can engage and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Pieces of a Woman Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform. If you listen to us on Apple, leave us a five-star rating and a comment. 